0: of scripture this morning again we're continuing the gospel of saint mark coming to the conclusion of chapter 7 this morning verses 31 through 37 the gospel of saint mark chapter 7 beginning in verse 31 let us hear and attend to the word of god and again departing from the region of tyre and sidon he that is jesus came through the midst of the region of decapolis to the city of uh, to the sea of galilee then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude, and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephrathah, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his uh, tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. And we'll end our reading of the Holy Scriptures there this morning. Please be seated. The Gospel of Mark chapter 7 begins with disputes about religious hand-washing, these rituals and man-made rules about self-purification. This self-purification has to do with unclean foods, unclean things, and unclean people. All which Jesus rejects is having no place in the New Covenant Gospel. By the conclusion of Mark chapter 7, we're given a detailed account of Jesus healing a man as a compassionate object lesson about the Holy Spirit's Not only purifying the soul from sin's guilt, but also empowering the redeemed sinner to clearly hear and speak the good news of God's salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. So I want you to see the whole scope of chapter 7, how valuable it is to us that we said the theme of chapter 7 is that the gospel purifies from the corruption of external man-made religious traditions of self-righteous rules and rituals. And the gospel clarifies for us the internal transformation that is needed of the soul by saving faith. And so once again, this is in the scope of what the Bible teaches regarding self-righteousness by law works is at odds versus God's righteousness by grace faith. Now, just a review of chapter 7, if you'll remember verses 1 through 16, Jesus preached the law word of God from the law and the prophets as we see him quoting in that section. He applied the new covenant gospel, the good news of the new covenant through his blood, through his sacrifice, by first clarifying that sin is sourced in the human heart. Sin is not in outward things. In man-made rules and rituals of outward washings, they cannot purify the corruption of the sin-hardened heart. And it's shown in all manner of self-righteousness disguised as religious piety. That's why there was this conflict with the, those who came down from Jerusalem, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, those who thought that by, by external means and by man-made rules and rituals, remember, it just wasn't the idea of washing to take a shower to, or to, to bathe. It was the idea that you had to, in a particular manner or ritual, you had to wash your hands. And Jesus is condemning this and saying, No, that's a, a false self-righteousness and it's disguised as religious piety. No matter how people go through religious motions and have all manner of sincere effort, uh, they can crawl on their knees till their knees bleed. They can stare into the sun till they go blind. But by no works of their own righteousness, no self-sacrifice, no maiming or harming of their body can remove the guilt of their sin. We go on then in verses 17 through 23. Jesus protested against his disciples' confusion over the basics of the New Covenant Gospel we got to ask ourselves, are we confused about it? Do we get what Jesus is saying here? He clarifies for us the need of heart purification, affecting the supernatural essence of the soul. Do we get that? Do we understand that's where it starts? It's not in outward things. It must start inwardly. Sin's corruption is not in outward things. Not in the food we uh, or drink that we partake of. Now, of course, there are restrictions and regulations about things that for health-wise, and even morally, God says drunkenness is what is wrong. He doesn't say that, that drinking anything is in itself sinful. Sin is not in a bottle. Sin is in the human heart. And it manifests itself outwardly. Uh, he says that gluttony is wrong. We have appetites that are uncontrollable. And it's not just the idea of obesity. It's the idea of satiating yourself with outward things. Uh, always wanting more. Always wanting something better. So yes, there are moral applications in terms of gluttony and drunkenness, but it's not in the things itself. No food is in itself sinful. No drink in itself is sinful. Sin is not in personal and household items in the clothes you wear. There is no uh, uh, God's warning to us against licentiousness, uh, against our trying to parade our flesh. Uh, The Bible warns against that, but it's not in the kind of clothes we wear. It's not in household items, what kind of architecture we have or what kind of uh, furniture we have. So these are the things that Jesus was saying. You've got to make a distinction to understand what the Bible tells us about the human heart. Sin is not abstracted into outward things. Sin is sourced in the human heart. It's caused by original and actual sins, and it's revealed to us by the Word of God. God tells us what sin is. The world tries to redefine that. That's why we must know the Word of God and we must hold to the Word of God. God has the authority to tell us what is sinful and wrong and ungodly. I've told you long ago, I've tried to train myself and think in terms of speaking, in terms of right or wrong, uh, those moral concepts. I know those are legitimate concepts, but I've tried to uh, to train myself to think more and more in terms of what is godly and what is ungodly. We move on then to verses 24 through 30. Uh, We looked at last week. Jesus commends the faith of a Syrophoenician woman. This is a big deal. We need to get this. Jesus went outside of the borders of old uh, Judaism. Uh, This is a Syrian woman, and it would be somewhere around modern-day Lebanon. She was a Greek speaker. That was her language. Uh, She may have even participated in in Greek uh, paganism and and, Christianity. uh, various Greek mythology we don't know but the Holy Spirit changed her heart and drew her to Jesus she was considered unclean and outside of old covenant Judaism she would have been one of those that a Pharisee had rushed up against her he had rushed home to take a bath and said oh unclean unclean I touched an unclean person why because she was simply not like him she wasn't Jewish she was Syrian she was of Greek culture and language and Jesus commended her faith She demonstrated grace faith in seeking out Jesus and asking Jesus salvation and deliverance of of her daughter from the unclean spirit. Again, that was used relative to what was called unclean. All things that that were man-made that were called unclean by the Pharisees, Jesus says that's rubbish, That's, that's false. But here is legitimately an unclean spirit. And Jesus has power and dominance over and cast out the unclean spirit and receives this woman. He restores the daughter. He saves the woman and the daughter. That's his power. And he commends her faith. Uh, We're told that he was astounded by her faith. He delighted in her faith and the grace faith that she exhibited. She didn't take offense when he spoke strongly to her, even what would be considered offensively by cultural terms. So the new covenant gospel of Jesus Christ makes it clear That sin's corruption does not come from external things, including people's external differences. And by his blessing, the faith of this Gentile woman and her daughter, Jesus gives us a living object lesson of the gospel. And that brings us to the conclusion of chapter 7 this morning in verses 31 through 37, which I read uh, a few moments ago. This is Jesus healing the deaf man with a malaffected speech. I've described it that way rather than a speech impediment. It was some impediment in his speech. He spoke with difficulty, and the Greek expresses this idea of being malaffected. We don't know if his struggle was from his being deaf. We don't know if he was deaf from birth. We don't know if he was injured or some disease caused his deafness. We're just not told. But this man was struggling with the double difficulty, not only of being deaf, but also having a malaffected speech. He could not speak clearly. And you think how frustrating that would be. Um, we have in our, our family someone who is skilled and uh, who has a degree in sign language and ability to communicate with those. It's a fascinating thing, it's a language. And I, I learned some things I didn't know before. For example, sign language is different in different languages. I know that's a duh, but I never thought of it that way. Isn't that amazing? But here, can you imagine the frustration of this man? He's deaf. He can't hear for whatever reason. And now also, he, he can't speak clearly. He can't, he can't communicate. And it's like being an outcast. It's being separated. And, and I can't ma- imagine the level of frustration and hurt and even the cruelty that comes from that. You know how people can be cruel when someone's different, or when someone's suffering from uh, something—I mean, uh, have we even our struggled ourselves? When we see someone who is struggling in various ways, someone who is um, affected with a malady, it could be in terms of their inability to speak clearly, or their 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 body writhes and is uncontrollable, they're crippled, or there's some other issue. They have a, a manifestation of a of a disease. And we have a hard time overcoming those things, don't we? And so you can imagine this man's situation and how Jesus uses this for us as another object lesson. He clarifies for us in terms of the new covenant how we are to hear and speak clearly God's way of saving faith. I want you to see how this concludes chapter 7 that started out with this self-righteousness of external man-made rituals and and, uh, um, such things, rules. And how we come down to the conclusion. And Jesus particularly heals this man. And Mark takes note of that. Now Mark has repeatedly documented... Jesus' vast and varied healing of all kinds of people in different places. In the the previous six chapters, and and even now in chapter 7, over and over there have been multiple examples given to us of Jesus healing different kinds of people in different ways and in different places. Yet here at the end of chapter 7, specific details are given of some healing to reveal the greater truth about Jesus as the Messiah, that he is the anointed one. I want you to get the context here because this is what Matthew, according to the same um, story, this is what Matthew writes in chapter 15 of Matthew. Jesus departed from uh, Tyre and Sidon. He skirted the Sea of Galilee uh, coming down around the eastern side and went up to the mountain and sat there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking and the blind seeing and they glorified the God of Israel. So in the same context, Matthew says that when Jesus got where he was going, when he left Tyre and Sidon, came down and and skirted the um, eastern side of the Sea of Galilee and came to the south, somewhere down there, as the multitudes gathered together out on a a hilltop, they brought multitudes to Jesus of all various described who were suffering, and Jesus healed them, and God was glorified. But then Mark tells us something more specific in this same uh, event. Mark zeroes in on something very specific for us. So in verse 31 we read, Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, Jesus came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. I want you to take note of that. Jesus took the long way around the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee to the southern region, passing through where he had left as his witness, a man he saved and delivered from many demons. Do you remember Mark chapter 5? When they came to that region of the shore of the Sea of Galilee... That there was a man who had a, a multitude of demons. He terrorized the community around. He lived in the tombs. He cut himself. He was a wild man. He was a madman. And Jesus, remember, when that man was compelled to come to Jesus in the tombs, he saw Jesus on the shore. He ran to Jesus. I, I made mention to you that if I'd have been among the disciples there, I think I'd have jumped back in the boat. Here's this crazy man with chains come swinging you know, toward Jesus. What do you think he's going to do? He falls down at Jesus' feet. And Jesus casts a demon. The demon identifies himself. We are many. And Jesus casts the demon into a herd of swine. We're told there were over 2,000 of them. And they ran off into the sea and were destroyed and drowned. That's how many demons there were. And then the people seeing and witnessing what Jesus did because the swine herders went back and told the, the people in town they came all out out to the area all of them came out and they saw what Jesus had done they saw the man clothed and in his right mind sitting at Jesus feet testifying what Jesus had done and what did the people do they asked Jesus to leave but we, we don't want you here this man asked Jesus three times can I go with you please let me go with you. I want to be one of your disciples do you remember what Jesus said to him no you stay here Tell your family, your friends, and everyone what compassion God has had on you. Now, we don't know how long. Sometime later, Jesus loops back around and comes back into this region where he had left a man as his witness to say what compassion God had had on him and to witness of his salvation through believing in Jesus and the power of Jesus. And what do we find happening now? Multitudes come to Jesus bringing Those who were distressed, hurt, wounded, diseased, injured, demon-possessed, whatever. All of them, multitudes coming to Jesus, laying them at his feet. And Jesus looped back around to the same area where they had said, Leave us, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And Jesus visits them with salvation. He heals and he saves from where he left a man to be his witness before. Don't lose that. Don't lose thinking about that. Because Christian ministers and believers in the church should take note that Jesus previously commissioned this saved man to remain and to witness of God's compassionate salvation and how, according to his time and purpose, Jesus revisited that region with his saving power. That brings us to verses 32 through 34. And they brought to him, that is, they brought to Jesus one who was deaf and had an impediment or mal in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And Jesus took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed, and he said to him, Ephrathah, that is, be opened. So Jesus healed a man who was deaf with malaffected speech by his personally touching the man's ears and tongue and we're given here a rarely detailed account of an intended object lesson about the internal supernatural work of the holy spirit in regeneration i want you to see that that unstopping this man's ears to hear the word of god jesus spoke to him and he heard jesus we don't know if he that may be the first thing he ever heard we don't know but he heard the word of God. He heard Jesus speak to him and he loosed the tongue of this man so that he could plainly speak God's truth. Now this is well attested in the Old Testament. I've given you a number of references. I'd encourage you to go home and look them up. This uh, unstopping the ear and, uh, and um, loosening the tongue. It's well attested as symbolic acts in the Old Testament for god's presence and saving grace sometimes it's used as judgment god will stop up the ears god will will stop up the mouth or or uh bind the tongue there were times when god brought judgment and said you will not hear the word of god that there will be no prophets to teach to to preach to you the word of god as an act of judgment there are other times when god reveals and says this is my blessing i unstop your ears to hear my word i loosen your tongue to speak my truth and to praise my name so you want to look at these scripture references in Exodus and Deuteronomy and Psalm 40 and especially in Isaiah. There's several references in Isaiah and see them in connection with what Jesus is doing here. Where Jesus unstops the man's ears and speaks to him, "Be loose, be open." And he he spits and touches the man's tongue and the man can speak clearly and plainly. What are we to learn from this as a Christian minister and we as believers in the church of Christ? We are only as true to the New Covenant Gospel as we hear and speak the Word of God faithfully, believing the unseen power of the Holy Spirit as the real presence of God, greater than the world, the flesh, and the devil. And that's what I challenge you about this morning. Here's the account. I told you in the broader scope, Jesus was was caring for all kinds of people. I told you in the broader scope that Jesus looped back around after some time. We don't know how long. But he had left as his witness a man to talk and to preach and to tell and to to encourage others of the compassion of God that he found in the person of the Lord Jesus who delivered him and saved him. And now multitudes come to Jesus. But Mark singles out this one to tell us when our hearts have been changed because sin is in the heart, not in outward things back to the first part of the chapter. And when the power of the Holy Spirit, unseen from our eyes, but is operative, changes and works in us so that it demonstrates by our outward change of life and testimony. I'm changed because Jesus changed me. Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was dead, but now I'm alive. Once my heart was stoned dead and hard and hated God. Now my heart is alive and transformed and loves God. Those are the changes the Bible talks about. I mentioned earlier today, we, one of the hymns we sang was about that. Can you testify to that? Can you identify with that? Can you say, yes, that's me? I was like this man. My ears were stopped up to the truth of God. My tongue was only used to curse God or to praise myself or to seek my own satisfaction or to try to to sway others. Some people curse God. Others may not curse God, but they don't speak for God. They only speak for themselves. And so the point is that's being made in the object lesson for us here is that I can say to you, Jesus unstopped my ears so that I can hear the word of God. I can tell you that Jesus loosed my tongue so that I could preach and so that I could witness and testify to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. It's a blessing of God. It's a manifestation of salvation. And so we in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ must be faithful to the Word of God. It's only as we are as faithful to the Word of God as the Scriptures teach that we can speak in truth and love. The world doesn't want to hear it in Jesus' time, in our time. No, the world is at war with God and with God's truth. I gave you the example last week of when Jesus used the the, uh, analogy and said that the the non-Jewish woman was like a little dog. Highly offensive. That's the way you're looked at, woman. From my people, you're looked at as a little dog. And I'm not going to give you the children's food. And she says, oh Lord, just give me the crumbs that fall off the children's table. Even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs. And Jesus was amazed at her faith. But she wasn't looking with human eyes. The Holy Spirit had opened her eyes. In Jesus, she saw the Redeemer, the Savior, the one who could save her and deliver her daughter. And she begged Jesus and pleaded with Him. She wouldn't give up. And even when Jesus spoke in that Cultural analogy. Oh, you're just like a little dog. You're not really one of the children. Highly offensive. What would you do if somebody called you? What would you do if somebody said out at McDonald's one day, your children are like little dogs. Mm. Hold me back. It's offensive, isn't it? But Jesus saw in this woman and spoke to her the love of God and the salvation that he visited her with in deliverance. And that was more important to her Is it more important to you and me? Are our ears open to hear the Word of God, even in humility? Even when it it crushes us to hear the Word of God and what God's Word says? Even the Word of God's judgment? We must humble ourselves to it. I just fall back. You know, you've heard me say this many times. I I don't know that I'm getting any wiser. I just fall back on on what I know, and that is God's going to do what's right. People bring up to me objections about God's judgment or, or when society is at odds with what God's Word says is sin and is an abomination to Him and perversions and such things. I was like, look, God's going to do what's right. I pray for salvation. I want people to be changed. We don't change the Word of God to accommodate them. We don't rename sin. And say, well, it's really okay. It's kind of excusable. Uh, In time past, people were kind of backward. They didn't really understand this. But now we can change the names and it'll be okay. God's Word doesn't work that way. Will we be faithful to God's Word even when it stings, even when it hurts, even when it's hated? Will we be faithful to God's Word? And that's what I believe this object lesson is about healing the man who was deaf and had malaffected speech. Jesus is saying, we have got to hear the Word of God clearly and we have got to speak the Word of God clearly if people are going to be saved. God is not going to sanctify error. If I tell people, you're okay in your sin, it's okay. Look, society has said it's okay for you to live that way. I know that you really want God, but you love your drugs, so being a drug addict, that's okay. I mean, that's, you know, you can't help yourself. I know that you don't like living below other people's standards, so stealing stuff is okay because that's what you need to make you happy. So if you steal stuff, look, it's okay. You're only stealing from people that don't deserve it anyway. Do you hear that? Do you hear what the world says That's not faithful to what God says. And it's offensive. Because God has the authority to tell us what is godly and what's ungodly. How do you determine what's right or wrong? Remember I told you earlier? Try to move out of those concepts of deciding for yourself what's right or wrong. Ask yourself a better question. What is godly? What is ungodly? And there's only one source to find the answer to that, and that's the Holy Scriptures. God tells us what is godly and what is ungodly. Now, remember earlier in the chapter, the Pharisees and the scribes and the traditions of the elders had said there were things that were ungodly? Like certain foods were ungodly, or or certain ways of not washing your hands are ungodly, certain clothes are ungodly, or certain people are ungodly? And Jesus said, Away with all of that. You're not God, you don't make those rules. Jesus said that we must return to the scriptures, to the law and the prophets. We must know the whole counsel of the word of God. And then we can begin to start answering the question, what is godly and what is ungodly? And Jesus heals this man at the end of this chapter and of this trip that Jesus took. Among the many that he healed, the multitudes that he healed. Jesus heals this man, detailed for us by Mark, in a, a rare way. By touching the man, putting his fingers in his ears, by touching the spittle to his tongue, and by speaking and commanding that he hear clearly and that he speak clearly. Beloved, I believe that's an object lesson to us, that when our hearts have been redeemed, when we have been changed from the inside out, it's now that we can begin to hear clearly the Word of God and that we can speak clearly and we can speak compassionately the Word of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But that's not all as we come to the conclusion of chapter 7. Verses 35 and following, 35 through 37, we read, Immediately the man's ears were open and the impediment of his speech was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus commanded them, the multitude and the people there, the ones who had brought this man, and Jesus had, had stepped aside with this man, Jesus commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Now, I want you to reconsider this passage a little bit. Jesus commanded the people that they should tell no one. But this was not a gag order. But that they should not focus on the outward healing, obscuring the inward transformation, affecting the supernatural essence of the soul. I want you to think about that in the context of this chapter. Or, and really, as a matter of fact, in the context of, of the previous chapters, all bringing us up through chapter 7. Because the majority opinion is that Jesus did not want to precipitate the Jewish leaders in, in hastening his death. And so Jesus was telling people, and the demons don't tell who I am. I'm not really satisfied with that. I'm not against it. I think that can be part of it, but I don't think that's all there is because to the man that we talked about who had the legion of demons and Jesus told him to go witness to his family and the people down around Decapolis, the ten cities down there, and then Jesus comes back and the multitudes come to him. I don't believe Jesus was giving a gag order. What I believe Jesus was Warning and saying is, don't you get it? Don't you see what's really important here? Stop talking about the outward things. Just like I spoke against the Pharisees and the traditions of the elders. And I warned you against their externalism. So you too have to look beyond the external. Stop focusing and overly celebrating about these external things. Even the healings, as wonderful as they are. But look beyond that to the inward transformation affecting the supernatural essence of the soul, that's what lasts. What happened to this man whose ears were open and his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly and he was able to hear the rest of his life? The rest of his life. What goes beyond that? It wasn't just opening his ears and loosening his tongue, as wonderful as it was. And I I believe this man witnessed and testified of the Lord Jesus and his power, but only for the rest of his life. But what was Jesus really getting at? The rest of his soul. That's what we need to focus on. That's what we must keep before us. That's what we cannot obscure. Jesus repeatedly commanding the people not to be overly celebrating the outward signs and wonders was not a prohibition against witnessing to the inward transformation of soul, reconciled to God. That's what Jesus is saying. No, talk about reconciliation with God. Talk about your peace with God. Yes, I healed your body. I healed it as a demonstration of the greater reality that your sins are forgiven. He told us that. Remember? Back in the opening of Mark when he healed the man who was brought to him who was paralyzed, Jesus said, is it greater to say, take up your bed and walk, or your sins are forgiven you? Well, nobody can forgive sins but God only. So Jesus said to him, take up your bed and walk, your sins are forgiven. I'll give you that. To show that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, take up your bed and walk. And it was the Sabbath day. Away with your silly rules. Away with your self-righteousness. Away with your conscience binding!" Let us focus on reconciliation with God. That your heart is at peace with the Creator. Your sins are forgiven. And you have rest for your soul. So I think that's what's going on here. I think that Jesus isn't prohibiting people talking about peace with God and the wonder of of the good news. I think he's warning and saying to them, you're getting all worked up about external experiences and these external things and you're neglecting the greater reality what's happening inwardly so for christian ministers and believers in the church there remains the risk not only of external man-made religious rituals that we talked about in the first part of the chapter of those rules that are binding conscience but there also remains the risk of focusing on outward displays of human experience as more validating then faith in the inward work of the Holy Spirit by the means of grace through pre- preaching and the witness of the gospel. <laughs> we sometimes find ourselves in a struggle in a difficulty within our own souls. We're saying, wringing our hands figuratively and we're saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We want external experiences to validate and say everything's okay. Everything's going to be okay. I'm telling you the Holy Spirit witnesses to us with reconciliation with God. Be at peace. Peace. Be still in your soul. Everything's going to be okay with Jesus. That's where we need to settle out. That's what we need to focus on. The work of the Holy Spirit that's done secret and unseen from our eyes, but is manifest in that we worship and we sing And we live in devotion to the Lord. We hear his word. We speak his truth with compassion. And we believe the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than the world. And we keep preaching the gospel. The good news. See, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart and mind this morning, but I know he's doing. Because the word of God will not return empty. That's one of those passages in Isaiah that I told you to go read. Because God unstops the ears. God opens the mouth as a visitation of His pleasure and salvation. And so that's what we're preaching. That's what we're saying is such good news. What is the good news? Peace with God in your soul. Now the world is confused. And sadly, many so-called churches in the world are telling you, What is the good news? Oh, the good news is health. Come be healed outwardly. The good news is to get more. Outdo the world. We're in competition with the world. We're not in competition with the world. Jesus didn't come to compete in the world. Jesus came to save the world. We must not lose the focus of the gospel and the internal transformation that is necessary. We're getting a lot of confused, unclear speech from the broad Christian community these days trying to rename sin and say it's not so bad rather than heeding what the Word of God says, what is godly, what is ungodly, and where the remedy is to be found. Remember the conflict is between God's law and sin. God's law is a transcript of His character. God is holy, altogether holy. He cannot abide sin. He will not excuse sin. He will not rename sin for your convenience. God's holiness stands in condemnation against sin. What is the remedy? God's grace. A sin sacrifice. Only Jesus is sufficient to cleanse your sin's guilt. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That Jesus died for your sins according to the gospel. And that he was buried and that he rose the third day according to the gospel. He was raised for your justification. God approved of his sacrifice. And he ascended on high glorified with authority and power until he rules and makes all his enemies his footstool. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And beloved, if you believe in Jesus, you will not die. You will live. That's peace with God. You see, that's the gospel we preach. It must be clearly heard and it must be clearly proclaimed. That can only come from the power of the Holy Spirit. The regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want you to look at. Don't be looking at the outward things. As wonderful as they are, Jesus says, just don't overly celebrate that. Yes, that's only a part. It's the secondary part. The greater part is what's done inside. I'll leave this with you promise jesus made to the disciples said i'm going away from you but i'll send the comforter the holy spirit the paraclete the comforter advocate i'll send him to you and he'll bring you peace he'll witness of me but here's something i'm going to tell you it's necessary and it's good that i go to my father because when i do you'll do greater works than i have done did you hear that Jesus says the witness of the gospel is a greater work than all the outward signs that he performed. Do we believe that? Do we believe it? Beloved, I'm calling you to believe it. Believe in the unseen power of the Holy Spirit. That God has been pleased to ordain through preaching and worship and his means of grace. Let us focus and let us testify That we are reconciled with God through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I think that's a gospel celebration. Remember I've been talking to you about a gospel party? Well, I believe that here in the Gospel of Mark, we're we're, we're leading up to a gospel party. I think you'll know it when we talk about it more. But we'll be moving on into chapter 8 and then chapter 9. So let us celebrate and rejoice. Let us have a gospel party. Not the way the world parties, but the way Jesus says we should party. With joy and our hearts full and overflowing in the goodness of the gift of the Holy Spirit that we are the children of God by faith. We'll continue in the exposition of the Gospel of Mark as the Lord allows and going on to chapter 8 next week.